The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, is there a best approach to weight loss? Well, personalized medicine would say it depends. Oh, geez. Again with the depends. Different person to person. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Really? You brought cookies to the weight loss episode, Michael? No, I did not. Are you eating cookies? No. What are you talking about? <laughs> Hello, Patty. Devers. Hi, Michael Chapman. How goes it? It's going real well. Welcome to the lab report. Thank you. You're welcome. I just arrived, actually. Thank you for that warm introduction. Mm-hmm. And welcome to everyone to this podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about functional medicine, specialty lab testing, and integrative therapeutics. All those things. Yeah. And if you are new to the show, well, uh-huh. welcome. Yeah, fashionably late. <laughs> you are so cool. Even being that cool, you should still go to iTunes or Spotify. You should subscribe. Hit the download button, rate and review. Leave us some feedback. That'd hit all the awesome. buttons. Lots of There's buttons. There's buttons there to hit. Hit them. <laughs> That'll help us out. And uh, if you have feedback, uh-huh. you can email us, podcast at gdx.net. We're still gathering your information about whether you like case studies or not. Yeah, I really want right, people's so feedback on 50, this. So far it's 50-50. See? Yeah. That was, so if we did case studies and after case studies, it would alienate half the audience. You see the point? But yeah. I mean... We the, need more feedback. The other half would be like all about it. They'd True. Just, they'd be yelling and screaming. But that's only half the audience. We want to please as many people as possible. So let's just get more feedback. Keep emailing us, podcast at gdx.net. That's where you send the feedback. That's where you send your emails. Mm-hmm. All right, enough of this banter, Thank Patty. Thank you. Let's get into it. Thank Let's you. talk about weight loss. Let's do this. Well, first of all, you did bring cookies to the recording of the weight loss episode. I'm just pointing it out. I'm not going to acknowledge that. Okay. Now, we were talking about, when we think about weight loss, we mentioned that it is personalized. It's different, right? Everybody's different on yeah. how you're going to approach this topic. And that's that's what this podcast is. I mean, personalized medicine, functional medicine, that's what we're talking about. So let's let's bring that to the table. Let's bring that to weight loss and let's start at the top. We always start at the top. We got to start at the top. <laughs> we got to define terms. Well, I think in my head, first of all, when we're talking about weight loss, I, I think that's a bit of a misnomer because we really don't want people just to lose weight. Right. We're talking about fat loss and that's right. body composition. Yes. Yeah. Because if you're just losing weight, you could be losing muscle. Not good. Right. So that's like, we're t- it's called weight loss and we shouldn't even be calling it that. Right. right. And if you are to remove weight from the equation, you remove people's scales. How freeing would that be? You get to change the conversation. I know. I actually had a friend uh-huh. who took her bathroom scale and drove to this bridge and threw it off the bridge and we all cheered. That's See, that just illustrates mm-hmm. that in functional medicine, if we were to change this and change this dialogue, then we would be able to not only free people from their scales, but invite the appropriate metrics to be using, which is really things like waist circumference, waist to hip ratio. We should be measuring inches and not pounds. Yeah. And some of those are actually markers of longevity. So that's important, right? Correlated with other diseases. So we're going to redefine weight loss. Heck yeah. And we're also going to redefine the word diet because 
people on a weight loss, they're always looking, what's the diet? What diet are I on? But hmm. Liz Lipsky was on here, yeah. and she took it back to the origin of the word diet, to the word dieta. That sounds fancy. What did she say that was, Michael? Do you remember? Well, if I remember correctly, and that's a big if, but <laughs> essentially uh, you're looking at everything that is coming into your environment, to your awareness. So it encompasses, sure, the food that you're eating, but also the words that you're using, the environment, right. like everything is your part of your diet. What right. you're hearing. Yep. That's, and it's so profound. Yeah. So here we redefined another word. We're on a roll. That's right. We are changing the paradigm <laughs> right now. That's right. And so for years in weight loss, it's always been that underlying tenet of calories in, calories out. Oh, man. Right? right? And so this is a really, I, th- I find this part of the conversation interesting mm-hmm. because, yes, we have forever talked about calories in, calories out, meaning that if you want to lose weight, you need to operate at a caloric deficit. And you can do that by decreasing the calories in or increasing the calories out, right? By exercise, by movement, that sort of thing, by metabolic rate. Mm -hmm. And what we have more recently come to discover is that, wow, okay, that might not work for everyone. Or the degree that which that works varies person to person. Mm -hmm. And so... What we tend to do, and I don't know if you agree with me here, but the thing that's frustrating is when we tend to go from one type of philosophy and maybe disprove part of it or or understand that it's multifactorial, mm-hmm. we tend to undermine all the evidence and how important that factor was. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like we're we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, right. "Oh wait, no, it's right. not calories in, <laughs> calories out. That's not how it works. Right? It's actually based on metabolic rate and hormonal influx, or it's actually based on you know the amount of obesogens coming in from the exposome, right. and it's it's and there's all these different factors. They're together. We integrate them. Right. We don't exchange them. No, I actually agree with you. And to your point. There are a lot of different factors, which is why it doesn't work for everyone. You mentioned hormones. There's a lot of different hormonal signaling that happens. We think about toxins and obesogens in the diet. We think about the microbiome. But to your point, it's also calories in, calories out. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not trying to say that I am uh, a dullard and that I'm adhering only to the calories in, calories out philosophy. I'm just saying that there is evidence and truth to it as being a factor, Mm -hmm. just as much as there's evidence and truth to all these other factors. They're all important. That's right. Right? We need to hold all these things together if we're going to bring a functional or an integrative approach to our patient who's trying to lose weight. Okay, so all that being said, I think we've talked about calories in, calories out, and how that's just one factor. Let's start unpacking... All the factors. Okay. Okay. As much as we can. Okay. <laughs> as much as we can in 20 minutes time. <laughs> Similar. I mean, we explained all of nutrition in 20 minutes, so we can do this. We did methylation in 30 minutes. Yeah. This is nothing. We can do this. Yeah. Okay. We might have to start talking a little bit faster. Go ahead. Maybe about this. I've rate. had coffee. But that being said, so let's start unpacking some of the factors. And the first biggie, the big factor that I think is unavoidable at this point is a, some conversation around diet. Right. And this entire podcast, just about every episode when we had someone talking about diet, we addressed all kinds. Like there's paleo, there's carnivore, there's ketosis. So many approaches. There's Mediterranean. And so it really comes down to which do you pick? And I think the underlying tenet of any diet you happen to choose, you've heard the ups and downs and pitfalls of all of them, is I think we can all agree, regardless of which one you choose, 
that we want you to eat quality food, which means whole foods and not processed foods. Just yeah. starting there. Yeah. And if that's one change that you can make, that's yeah. going to get you eat real food. <laughs> it's going to get you really far. No at kidding. The end of the day. Yeah. And so many of these diets you can attribute a lot of their success to the fact that you're getting people off processed foods and you're getting people eating more pro- more whole foods. Right. So, I mean, that right there is a, a big win if you're able to do that for your patients. Right. Um, and I completely agree with that. So let's talk also a little bit about, because you're talking about quality, right? right? And if you're trying to improve the quality of somebody's diet, getting them off processed foods onto whole foods, what is it about processed foods that is problematic in your mind like Hmm, so what is the big deal good point most processed foods have things like artificial sweeteners but lots of sugar lots of carbs right and so you think about a lot of these kind of wasted calories that are not the most quality macronutrients yeah high sugar and high fat Mm -hmm. so much processed food is both high sugar and high fat which is i think at the end of the day Protein tends to be a little bit more neutral from a metabolic perspective, but when you're doing the combination of both high carbohydrate and high fat, that's a metabolic disaster mm-hmm. because you, your body is having to... Those are both direct energy sources. Right. And so the body does really well if it's completely sugar burning, right? And it's it's operating on a bunch of fruit and you don't have a lot of fat intake. You're going to maintain some fairly decent homeostasis if you flip that, if you flip that whole uh, equation. And you have a high fat diet with low carbohydrate and you go into more fat burning, more keto adaptive, you also maintain good metabolic flexibility. But uh, if you have high fat and high carbohydrate, that's a disaster. Right. But not only the macronutrients that you brought up, Michael, like fats, carbohydrates and proteins. If you're talking about the quality of your your food, there are other things, right? There are micronutrients. Sure. There are minerals. Yeah. Right. So if you, you need to make sure that you're eating quality food, that is nutrient dense as well with other things like micronutrients. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the quality of the food, whether it is riddled with bad things too, you know, right. toxins and things like that, uh, when there's leaching from BPA plastics and blah, 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 we'll get into some of the exposome stuff. But that's that's also part of the quality of your diet that's important. And I think, you know, if we're talking about the quality, which we just discussed, eating really whole foods and really nutrient dense foods. We can also talk about the quantity of foods. And in my head, I think, okay, first and foremost, it's not all about calories. We also need to look at those macronutrients. Like what's the relationship of those macronutrients in the foods we eat? Yes. It's it's both, right? Right. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, we need to pay homage or... I mean, pay, it's not it's not an homage. We pay homage. They're spelled the same, aren't they? They are. Okay, that's confusing. I'll make fun of you. Okay. Keep going. All right. So we need to pay homage to the calories in, calories out model, uh-huh. and at least acknowledge that there is some there's some aspect to this balance, and and you can do you can put on weight. If you have an excess calories in mm-hmm. and no calories out, and no no movement, no exercise, and you can vice versa, uh, and that factor that function that equation is going to change person to person but that's that's part of the equation and then you were going into uh the macro side of things and that's kind of interesting too because a lot of these different diets quote unquote that we've been talking about focus on okay well let's manipulate the macros and see if we can also get a a little bit of a catalyst to our weight loss 
And there's a lot of nuance to manipulating those macronutrients, and some diets take them in different directions. And like I said, we've done a lot of podcast episodes regarding diets, so you can go back, check out some of the ways that people manipulate these macronutrients, like Dom Diagostino talked about ketosis, and so did Rachel Gregory. We had Paul Saladino talking about the carnivore diet. We had Terry Walls and Mark Sisson talking about paleo. So go back and review some of those, how they are manipulating the macronutrients for metabolic flexibility. Yeah, and that's the key word, right? And I think that's that's kind of the interesting point of it is at the end of the day, what you're finding is people are alternating between their levels of carbohydrate and their levels of fat. And and that's going to be what drives. And when you have an elevation of both, if you have high percentages in the macros of both carbohydrate and fat, that's more likely to lead towards weight gain than uh, if you had a different uh, ratio of those. So we talked about the calories, we talked about the quantity and the quality, but the other piece of this is timing, right? Of when you eat. And we're all conditioned to eat three times per day with snacking, blah, 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 blah. But something that's really kind of a burgeoning kind of science is chronobiology, which is where intermittent fasting comes from. And we also talked about intermittent fasting several times on the show. Mm-hmm. And it's really just restricting your eating window and yeah. fasting the rest, which in and of itself can also be a form of controlling the quantity of the food you eat. Yeah, at least in the literature, it can be a little bit difficult to tease apart the the timing part of the literature and the quantity part of the literature. And that's because when you, you've seen these studies with intermittent fasting groups, they tend to have a calorie-restricted diet also. They tend to eat less um, as a function of the intermittent fasting. Um, so that's that's a little bit interesting and, and kind of challenging to tease those things apart. Uh, however, I think one of the things that's important to know is that if somebody just has calor- a calorie-restricted diet, they're just eating less calories, this tends to slow the metabolic rate. And what we're starting to see burgeon out in the literature is that the intermittent fasting groups don't have as dramatic a reduction in the metabolic rate. And that's, I think that's really unique and that's really interesting because if you're instigating an intermittent fasting protocol or you're instigating calorie restriction as part of a weight loss strategy, then if you were to lift that, how much rebound is there going to be? And I think that's always something to, to keep in mind with respect to, you know, if you slow their metabolic rate, they're going to put the pounds back on if they have a relapse and they don't continue to eat that way. But what about the chronobiology part of this? Yeah, I mean, aside from fasting and picking an eating window, what is now coming about is the fact that it's everyone has a circadian rhythm, right? We all have a normal circadian rhythm. Your hormones have a circadian rhythm. Your microbiome has a circadian rhythm. The cells in your body have a circadian rhythm. What? And they're starting to see that when you eat food and insulin is secreted, actually insulin sensitivity has a time of day. It also has a rhythm. They're seeing that insulin might be more sensitive earlier in the day versus the evening. So it's not only what you eat, it might also be when you eat and how much you eat. Do we know which one of those factors, the chronobiology aspect, the the circadian rhythm, or the, the intermittent fasting, which one of those variables is more effective from a weight loss standpoint? You know, that's that's interesting. And then the question becomes, so if you're an intermittent faster and you skip breakfast because you're trying to get a, a, a longer fasting window, you're in opposition to the other camp who says breakfast like a king, yeah, lunch like a prince, dinner like a pauper. Do kings eat more than princes? Hmm. I mean, I, I tend to think of princes as like they're 
they're growing boys. They need more food. Mm. But then I think about like King Henry just always walking around with the chicken wing. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which <laughs> or chicken? I wing. mean, we don't necessarily <laughs> know. Is that true? Was he really? I don't like, know. Uh, maybe we know that. I don't know. I don't know. But I will say this, right? If we're talking about intermittent fasting and I'm trying to introduce this as a weight loss strategy for somebody, then I'm more likely to follow that idiom of a big breakfast and maybe skipping the the fast or skipping dinner as part of the intermittent fast because uh, you talked about the chronobiology aspects of this and people are maybe more insulin sensitive during the day than they are in the evening, right? But the other thing is that people are, are active during the day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're trying to think of like, when would be a good state for autophagy? When would be a good state to have low insulin? Right. I would be thinking about while you're sleeping is a good time to be doing autophagy because you're not doing all this other activity. And in the evening where your insulin is less reactive than it is earlier in the morning. Yeah. So this is important because now we're talking about insulin and hormones and we move from chronobiology, I think, into this concept of hormones, because we're on this show, we've also talked about stress response and the circadian rhythm and measuring these hormones. How, how much do they play a part in a weight loss strategy? Well, I mean, <laughs> hormones play a big role in all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And it's almost like hormones are the symptom, in my mind. I, I think of it this way, like hormones are the actual they're the symptom of what's going on. Like if you have high cortisol, that's because you have HPA axis dysfunction. You have HPA axis dysfunction because you've got autonomic imbalance and stress, right? So mm-hmm. like the hormone changes are the symptom of the, 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 the bigger issue of stress or whatever may, may be. So I would say another factor to the weight gain and weight loss issue is stress, Right. At the end of the day, and 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 stresses impacts on hormones. Right, and so again, we've talked about stress and cortisol a lot on the show. And when your body is under stress, like that fight or flight, real or perceived, even if it's just stress from your job, whatever you think, oh, your body's going to release cortisol. And cortisol, cortisol is that hormone. It's a, a chemical signal messenger. And the important thing to know about cortisol is that it's actually a gluco corticoid uh-huh gluco sugar interesting right so your body you releases said that it. and that it, it's always interesting to me every time you say it because i'm like oh yeah i keep forgetting that, <laughs> that part of it yeah. yeah and so it's released when your body has a hard time regulating its blood sugar to kind of help out it's also released when you're stressed out so you have a very stressful job it's not uncommon for you to start packing on some pounds because of that and it's something people don't think of when they're thinking about weight loss yeah and i think about cortisol's functions, right? Cortisol is a catabolic hormone mm-hmm. at its at its core. So breaks things down. It breaks things down and essentially its function is to scavenge for gluconeogenesis. And so it, to make it, more glucose. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's my translator, <laughs> Patty Devers. Um and so what what we find is that why is it that people who have high chronic high cortisol levels, they have more central adiposity, Hmm. right? It's because you are going, you're getting energy from the muscle, you're getting energy from other places. And then when you're not necessarily utilizing it, you're storing it as quickly as possible, which is in the form of adipose tissue around your abdomen. And we all know that that adipose tissue around your abdomen is the the thing that's most directly associated with like cardiometabolic risk. Mm -hmm. 
right? And so how much of that central adiposity is related to HPA axis dysfunction and stress and chronic high cortisol levels? Right, right. And so as part of your weight loss strategy or fat loss strategy, stress management is super important. And we've had several episodes talking about heart rate variability, right? And things like, you know, heart math and things that are coming and, and really working on that lifestyle change. But also to note that sometimes you can be over fasting or over exercising in an attempt to lose weight and you're raising your cortisol in response to that because right. that's also a stressor so you have to be very careful with that balance right and the, so there's the aspect of training and exercise and you know those things being important but then rest right right you have to you have to recover and your hpa axis has to recover and the the biggest thing when you think of rest is sleep, right. right? Which also has a direct relationship to the effectiveness of weight loss. Right. Because when you sleep is when your body kind of restores itself and it clears all of these things. The hormones do their thing to try to help reset your metabolism. So without good sleep, you're really not going to be successful in any weight loss. Yeah. And studies show that, you know, even losing one hour of sleep is associated with increased Yikes. risk for insulin resistance. Right. So sleep is hugely important and it's likely coming from its impact also on cortisol levels and chronic elevation of cortisol, right? Right. So you talked about the the anabolic and the catabolic balance that's needed because you're going to stress your system doing things like diet and exercise, but you also need the rest. So it's it's important. It's why you find so many people are sarcopenic. They have not a lot of muscle mass. (laughs) So, and when they're overweight because of this catabolic physiology and it's, it's the opposite of... And when people have more of an anabolic process going on, they have more muscle mass. That does what? It increases your metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. By having more muscle mass, by having more testosterone and more androgens, your metabolic rate is increased. Uh, and that leads in and of itself, just having muscle mass leads to That's right. weight loss. That's right. And also as part of the HPA axis and cortisol and some of these sex hormones like testosterone, I think the other hormone that's in the mix there is thyroid. So right. we all know thyroid can be a problem and a cause for someone to have weight gain. Hypothyroidism is important, but they're all actually really interconnected. That's so true. And like, yes, thyroid is important. It's for it's for not a, all of it though. Yeah. Well, and, and think yeah. about it this way, right? Okay, what's the thyroid doing? Let's just, just unpack this for a second. Okay. <laughs> oh God. The thyroid is responding to metabolic rate. Okay. And so what happens is that you've got this elevation in cortisol. And that's saying, go catabolic, go catabolic. We need to pull from the muscle tissue, which is then suppressing your metabolic rate. Because you don't have as much muscle tissue, you don't, and and then what happens? The thyroid says, okay, well, we, we need more. We need more thyroid. We need more thyroid. So it makes more and more TSH. It makes more and more TSH. And then what happens? Same thing that happens with insulin. It gets resistant. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I always, so, I always think about it like the thyroid's kind of like the thermostat, right? And so it's like trying to react to try to keep everyone comfortable. And there's so many interactions and interplays, like you're saying, between cortisol and whether thyroid is upregulated, regulated, downregulated, insulin, whether it becomes sensitive or insensitive. It's all really, if you think about 
what's the base of all of these things? It really is the adrenal gland. It's the, it's the stress response. Right. Because if you fix that, you will fix your thyroid yes. problem. Yes. If you fix your balance I've between anabolic and catabolic physiological, physiologic processes, yep. you'll fix your thyroid. I mean, let's not talk autoimmune thyroid different is story. A, t- a totally different issue right. and has different factors going into it. But we're talking about just general uh, thyroid resistance and, and, high TSH. Okay. So talked all about diet. We're talking all about how hormones can also play a role. There are other factors that we haven't hit yet, Michael, as far as factors that are affecting weight loss. Yeah. You know, there's things like, uh, the exposome, right? There's, we, we learn more and more about these different chemicals that we're exposed to every single day that are some of which are called obesogens. Mm-hmm. Um, BPA is a great example of one, mm-hmm. uh, that are, that might have a direct, causative impact on our metabolic processes and lead to uh, us not only changing and affecting our appetite, but affecting our metabolic rate and how how likely we are to put on weight. Yeah, there are specific toxins that actually are endocrine disruptors, what they call endocrine disruptors. They kind of latch on to the receptors and kind of act like other hormones and make it falsely seem like you have all these hormones floating around. And it's simple things like various plastics. You mentioned BPA, which is in water, plastic water bottles, receipts receipts from the store. Um, You microwave something in your your microwave oven that's in plastic. I mean, these are ways you're getting exposed to things that will actually increase some of these levels and and not let you lose weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the last thing, right, that we haven't talked about is exercise, uh, is activity, right? Movement, movement, or some people call it exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm going to avoid saying that word because some people have a knee-jerk aversion to that word. So we'll just call it movement. But like activity, that is one of the key factors that's going to drive some of these things that we've already talked about. So the more that you have that you do resistance training, the more muscle mass you're going to put on and that's going to affect your metabolic rate, which is then going to affect your balance between calories in calories out. It's also going to affect anabolic catabolic balance. It's going to affect a lot of different things, right? And there's, you know, also just the aspect of activity in and of itself, burning calories. Okay. So if a patient comes to a functional medicine doctor, they're going to take a personalized approach. And what would, how you would mean you start? when a patient comes to a functional right. medicine? Right. When? How would you start? Where would you start? Well, that's interesting because I would start with a naturopathic approach because I'm a naturopath. I love it. So that, uh, you know, you might say that's what, what's the difference there. Um, and I would answer there's a difference in philosophy. Okay. You know, the thing that underpins naturopathic medicine is the naturopathic philosophy. Uh-huh. And one of the major aspects to that is we talk about, you know, there's first do no harm, but then un- right after that, there's remove the obstacle to cure. Wait a minute. Remove the obstacle to cure. What does that mean? So it means exactly what it sounds like. So the, the system is always trying to move towards cure. It's the, mm-hmm. the, the, the body system is innately designed to cure itself and to allow cure to happen. What you need to do is you need to remove the obstacles. And so when we're talking about weight loss, then you, you need to find out what the obstacles to cure are. And that could be many. So and it's not food, right? It's food. Well, (laughs) I mean, food, I think, is it's part of the story, right? So food, 
could be, but food in and of itself is not an obstacle either because food is beneficial. We eat food. We need, it's nutritious. Right. We get nutrients out of our food. So the types of food might be an obstacle to cure. But if you take that a layer deeper, okay. if it's the type of food that somebody's eating or the amount of food that somebody's e- eating that's leading towards weight gain or an obstacle towards weight loss, mm-hmm. then what is the reasoning behind the consumption of that food? So the obstacle to cure is the reason for their behavior. Correct. That's profound. Yeah. And that's going to be different for everyone. But it gets to this idea of we need to understand people's behavior. We Hmm. need to understand what role that behavior serves before we do anything. Right? First, do no harm. Uh Because you don't want to remove a behavior that's serving a role, especially if you don't understand what that role is, because you could actually theoretically make things worse. If you're just going to remove a behavior that is serving some sort of purpose and you don't replace it with a, with something else that will equally serve that purpose, you are probably going to create more dysfunction. So now we're talking a little philosophically. It is, but, but it's so profound that I think it's some a, a lens by which we can see everything else as far as weight loss. And so it really comes down to if someone has developed an adaptive behavior that may or may not be maladaptive until you find out the reason they're doing it and what they're adapting for, you can't change it. And this goes for all behavior. This is the nature of behavior change. Right. Um, and I mean, we, I don't know whether we get tired of saying this or not, or whether we don't say it, say it enough, mm-hmm. but functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, this is dealing with behavior change. At the end of the day, that's what we're doing. Wow. Some of us are maybe doing less of it and doing more supplements prescribing, but uh, I think the majority of us are still working a lot with behavior change. Talk about the root cause. I mean, that's about as rude as you can get. But that being said, said, so you start just by trying to understand someone, why they're doing what they're doing. Do you go calories in, calories out? Do you... Do a food journal? Do, how do you how do you start? Well, so <laughs> I mean, you don't always have a patient who you can just get there right away, right? Yeah, there takes us a certain amount of uh, inspection and introspection to get there, um, and a lot of times, first visit, second visit, you're still developing rapport, you're still right. getting to know right. someone, so you can use these factors, right, that that we talk about, and maybe that are laid out in the IFM matrix, mm-hmm. or what have you, you can use these things, you can use the calorie in, calorie out method, you can talk about, you know, the quality versus the quantity of the food, and why that's important, or the inflammatory nature of certain diets versus the anti-inflammatory nature of, so you can use these things, these factors will work, but at the end of the day, if you want to have the most success with instigating them, then you need to you need to walk through the levels of behavior change. You know, this reminds me, almost coming full circle on this podcast, early on, we spoke to Liz Lipsky, yeah. who's kind of an IFM diet expert. Mm-hmm. And she told a story that I think is right in line with exactly what you're describing here with behavior. She had a patient who ate Twinkies. Mm-hmm. And if you're a nutritionist in functional medicine, that's like, what a Twinkie? What <laughs> right. in the world? Insert you have to get, groan right. here. This is where the audience groans. Right. It's like, oh my God. But she, what she found out was that that patient's grandmother or grandparents, she didn't have a very good home life, and the grandparents used to give her a Twinkie as a, as a sign of love. Uh-huh. And so Liz, in understanding that 
she saw Twinkies as love, kind of took that and said, wait, who am I to take that love away from her? So it really comes down to what you're describing as an adaptive behavior that means something and you need to get to that root cause. And what behavior is not adaptive? Right. I would ask that question. Okay. Right? Like all behavior is adaptive. And so we're, we always need to be searching for, and it's invariably that there's some reason why somebody is eating, you know, the high sugary foods. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we talk about what it, trying to uncover that there's, you know, whether it's a story or whether it's just something else is like, it makes me feel good. I, my wife always tells me that there's an old, I think it's Ayurvedic, uh, idea that the desire for sweet in your food is due to a lack of sweet in your life. Wow. And so that, you know, may or may not apply to every single person, but what we're talking about here is like we have these patterns of behavior that we're doing for a reason. And if we're not understanding why they exist, then you're not going to have very much success. Like I said, like those, the calorie in, calorie out, like we can instigate these things, but like you're going to be another one of the docs who's like, why is my patient not complying? Right, right. At the end of the day. And, and we can sit here for a half hour and talk about the physiology of all these important things that go into weight loss. Right. But I think the tenet and the actual root cause is what you're describing here. Yeah. And so if you want to be successful, then if you identify or you have this, you're able to get to this layer of conversation with your patient to, to figure out why they're, why they're doing this behavior and then say, okay, is this the most effective behavior to elicit, to elucidate this thing, this reward that you're getting, this love mm -hmm. is the Twinkie, you know, okay. How much is the Twinkie really a big deal? Am I going to make a big deal out of the Twinkie? Or is the fact that we're doing 4,000 calories a day, is right. the 4,000 calories a day an effective way to get love out of your life? Right. What else can we do in your life to substitute? Substituting something healthier, right. some other behavior right. to try to get to that, the effectiveness of the, of the end point they're trying to achieve. And that... If you want to talk about start low, go slow, mm -hmm. this is where you start low and go slow. You say, okay, I'm going to take out just a tiny bit of this and we're going to swap it out with something else. Like maybe you, you used to find joy in doing, in, in doing a small painting or doing a small drawing. What if we do a little bit of that and swap out a little bit of the Twinkies? Half a Twinkie, a little right. bit of something else. Right. And I think... You're right. To, to, to the bigger point, as a clinician or if you're a patient and you're struggling with weight, this is really profound because all of the other stuff is physiologic. This is the root cause of it. And it's not just with weight. It's with everything. Oh, yeah. Other adaptive habits, right? right. Like substances, alcohol, other things, right? And it may be like... Lack of exercise. Right. I mean, right. Yeah, exactly. And underneath, like lack of exercise, you know, what... What drives you? What gets you out of bed? Like what, what's your purpose? What's your motivation? Mm -hmm. Like all those things come into play, which is why the center of the matrix is mental, emotional, That's spiritual, right? right? I mean, right. everything else circles around it. So like you're, this is why, this is big why medicine. You know, we talk so much about diet on this podcast True. and we talk so much about movement, but we're going to keep doing it. This is the tip of the iceberg. We're going to keep talking about diet and movement on this show. I'm going to keep talking about behavior and habits on this Great. show. Great. And you should, and we all should. And so I think moving this dialogue forward, so much more still to learn. Agreed. Mm -hmm.
Next time on The Lab Report, figure out why I'm eating all these cookies. Well, we have to figure out the root of the behavior and substitute it. That sounds frightening. Yep. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. We just went through a whole show with no Oliver Drops, no air horn, no drum roll. Who are you, Michael Chapman? What happened to you? I got excited by this episode and I forgot that there's buttons here. It's probably a good thing. There's no jingle either. This might be my new favorite episode.